police in the morning. Ambitious singing, dancing cat named Danny goes to Hollywood and overcomes several obstacles to fulfill his dream of becoming a movie star. I'm Corey. And I'm Paul. And we are the, the B-Movie Bros. Bros. Here are B-Movies, best of our ability. Sometimes we get off topic, but randomness is a gift. Here we are back the third week of December with Childhood Memories Month because, you know, it's all about joy and childhood and everything and joy to the world and all that shit. You know, December stuff. So and we already did Christmas month and a bunch of variations on that. So, so gotta gotta do what we can. We're taking a look at a movie from my childhood this week, with the 1997 film Cats Don't Dance, and the DVD multi pack I have it on doesn't have a description. So you heard the Amazon.com description of the movie, and let's dive right into this shit with our technical difficulties, top and bottom three. I wanna I wanna start with the top here, and you know just just like always, friends. Spoiler alerts. So for me, number three on the top, the movie flows really well, and even though the songs aren't necessary, they don't seem out of place or make the movie feel longer than it really is. Yeah, based on the setting and the story, like you'd expect there to be songs, and well, perfect for a musical, I guess. Because that's, that's the downside to a lot of kids' movies, is they have songs that don't make sense and don't fit in with the movie and just make it feel horrible. Hey, we're singing. Why? Because it's a musical. Oh, well, it's not a very good reason, but sure. Number two, the delightfully devious duo of Darla Dimple and Max, the villains of this movie. A child star and a demigod or something? I don't know. Like, Max is like 37 feet tall. He's got the strength of Thor. And he talks like Larch. Fear the wrath of Max, the bodyguard, or whatever he was, assistant guy. But yeah, Darla is just, she has such a villainous personality, packed into such a, a teeny body, and then, you know, juxtaposed with Max, this hulking servant that she bosses around. They just make a great pair, and really are the standout characters of the movie. Darla really reminded me of um, Angelica from the Rugrats. She's, like, <laughs> way smarter than she should be for, like, what, a five-year-old and, like, absolutely evil. It's like, I'm just going to, like, do this stuff to ruin your life. Why? Just because I'm an asshole. <laughs> like, and number one for me is the visuals. The visual aspect of this movie is fantastic. From backgrounds and special effects that would be happening if it were live action to the character designs and the fluid mo movements that everyone has. It, it's just all around a, a masterpiece in, in the visual aspect. So number three from my top three. Some of the jokes were pretty clever. Um, at various times throughout this movie, I, I laughed a couple times. So, you know, cool. You know, not the funniest movie ever, but, you know, not the worst. Two. The animation, like Corey said, was really good, especially for the time period, and I think it largely holds up even today, you know. I prefer traditional hand-drawn media over CGI most of the time, and this movie is a pretty good example of that. Obviously not Akira levels, but, you know, passable. And number one, the best character in this movie was by far Max, Darla's bodyguard, who was basically Lurch on steroids, you know, from the Addams Family. He's just, like, a total badass with, like, monstrous strength, and, like, him matched with Darla, who's, like, this 
evil, conniving little bitch. Like, it was just such a great duo. So, on to the bottom. For me, number three, the main character, Danny, is kind of a self-centered douchebag. I mean, he gets everybody fired from their jobs. He's... As much as he's friendly towards everyone else, it's really just to meet his own needs. Like, everything he does, like, he's kind of like Darla in that sense that every move he makes is solely for his benefit. Yeah. You know, he kind of tricks everybody else into doing things just for him to get this, like, star role. And, I don't know, can't really, can't really get behind him. Yeah, his naivety and, like, you know believing that everything would just kind of work out, that, like, Hollywood was this great, you know, magical land. It's hard to separate that from just being a selfish little asshole because he does really put everybody else's lines and lives, careers, and well-being on the line, too. So it's... He walked a fine line between that, but I kind of think he tipped it over to, like, kind of just selfish little jackass. Number two, the romantic interest subplot between Danny and Sawyer is not only super predictable because, you know, it's a kids movie and a Hollywood themed movie. <laughs> They're both the only two cats. But it's also really forced. Like, it's just like, suddenly Sawyer is, you know, for, for half the movie she wants nothing to do with Danny, then suddenly, oh, I'm in love with him. Like, it, it just, it, it, it was forced. It kind of makes you wonder about the ages, which are very, like, vague in this movie, because, like, she'd been working there from what, at this office in Hollywood for what's, like, they hint at was a really long time, and, um, Danny just kind of got there, and they hint that he's, like, you know, a young man, like, probably, like, 16, 18, or something like that. It's like, how the fuck old are these people? How the fuck old is Darla? She's, like, this evil, satanic little bitch, and, like, she's has all this, like, knowledge and just this vindictive personality. It's like, what the fuck happened to this little girl? Like, you know, there's... In the, Batman the Animated Series, there's this, like... There's a villain in a few episodes that... She's a former childhood star who had, like, this weird disorder that made her stay small and, like, looking like a child. And she's... Just turns out to be evil, um, and at one point falls in love with Killer Croc. It's really weird. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm like, was she like that? Was she like, did her aging just stop or something like that? Like, I, I, I kind of want a little more. I feel like there's a more disturbing story underneath this one. It's okay, Paul. If you talk about it enough, Netflix will make a live-action adaptation on the backstory of Darla Dimple. Oh, God. No. Netflix, leave my childhood alone. <laughs> this is my childhood. I'm, I'm sympathizing for it, like with it for Corey. Like... I can leave you Hawk show alone, damn it. Number number one on my bottom. Poor Max. At the end of the movie, he's on a balloon that just, you know, lets all the air out and he leaves Hollywood and is in Paris by the end of the movie. He's just he's lost and lonely. He's got no no one to be with or protect on the other side of the world. Like Somebody to, help Max! I like to think that Max, like, you know, ended up in France, met some, like, nice 37-foot-tall, like, French woman and everything, and they, like, had a bunch of little Maxes, like... Or maybe, like, he... <laughs> little Maxes <laughs> that are only 18 feet tall. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's, like, Billy. He's the runt of the litter. He's only, like, 20 feet tall. Like, 
Like, I'd love to see, like, a crossover him and, like, Lurch just, like, travel in the country, like, making grunting noises and, like, fighting evil. <laughs> That'd be the best movie ever. So what about you, Paul? What's on your bottom three? So number three, there are a lot of old movie references in this movie. Like, they'll show old actors, they'll, like, make references to old movies, and unfortunately in 2020, they seem really dated, like... I think at one point I watched this movie with my dad because I vaguely remember it. And I remember him saying, like, oh, this is a reference to that and that and that because that's the kind of guy he is. He's a lot more into, like, old um, culture and, like, um, media than I am. But, like, he was really good at that. And I'm like, I kind of feel bad. Just, like, I don't remember any of that shit. Like, See, I kind of feel like that... Very moved. Those weren't references that even, like, my parents would have got when the movie came out, but more, like... My grandparents, like, if I watch, like, watching this with my grandma, she would have gotten that stuff. Like, well, apparently it, this movie takes place, like, 1938 or something like 1939. that. 1939. That was it. And it came out in 97. Yeah. But, yeah, it... it 1997. Yeah, nine, 1997. But, yeah, it, like I said, sure it I said, feels but... dated now. But to anyone who's into old Hollywood, I guess right. they would be good references. Yeah, so, like, it's good for, like, a certain, you know, demographic of people, but, like, I mean, I didn't get any of it. Like, I mean, I know who Shirley Temple is, and I got the whole, like, Animal Crackers thing, but, like, you know, I'm an old man of 32, like, who knows how long I'll live, so, like, you know, the next generation, they're they're not gonna get that at all. Like, they don't see the, like, stupid little, like, commercials for, like, buy the Shirley Temple DVD VHS thing, like, you know, and, like... All these references, like, they're, they're just not going to get it. Well, that, that brings me to something I saw on the internet today, Paul, that was, you know, I'm realizing that, you know, I'm I'm so old and out of touch when when Steve was released for Smash Brothers, the trailer broke the internet, but when Sephiroth was released, the internet did not break. I saw that. I'm so old and out of touch with what the kids like nowadays. Like, who the fuck is Steve? What the fuck's a Minecraft? Why are these fucking kids doing this Fortnite dance? Like fucking fuck you Fortnite. Like let me know what the fuck you are. Like I I like I have a Nintendo Switch and like I'll get like because they always have like the news stuff on it. It's like oh buy this new thing for like Fortnite. And, like what the fuck is Fortnite? Like I'm 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 way too old for that. Like, a Fortnite is two weeks. Well yeah, but, like four score and seven years ago, Paul didn't know what like you know Minecraft was so. It's all very confusing as an old man of, like, in my 30s, and, you know, I feel, it makes me feel dated, it makes me unhappy, and I just don't like it. I just want to yell at people to get the fuck off my lawn. So why don't you yell at us what your number two on the bottom is? Alright, yeah, I'm getting all on a tangent, sorry. It's the old age. So number two, the plot and the characters are extremely forgettable due to just how standard they are. It's, it's not that I didn't like any of them. I like Max. I like the turtle. I kind of like the elephant. Dang, this dick. I like but, Pudge like, the penguin. Oh, Pudge. Sorry, Pudge. Pudge is, Pudge is great. I, I'd watch a whole movie of just Pudge and turtle and elephant just doing shit. It's like, fuck you, Danny. Like, we're, we're gonna do our, our own thing. We're gonna become pirates, you know? Try to cross the Grand Line and do all sorts of crazy shit. Like, I, I would watch that movie. They're and, all Zoan types. Exactly. <laughs> Number one. The songs of this movie were not at all catchy, which is kind of a problem when you have, you know, a musical. Most of them didn't even rhyme. Like, I'm listening to them, like, they even try. It's like, 
I believe in myself. I'm going to be great. You know, it's like, great. Try to rhyme. Try to make a better song, guys. Like, you fucking cat. Yeah, Big and Loud was definitely the best song of the movie. And that's another thing. So Darla's painted as, like, the evil villain, which she is. She's a little sociopathic little bitch. But, like, I mean, at least her song fucking rhymed on, like, fucking Danny. He's just like, oh, like, what rhymes with, like, believe in yourself? I don't know, like, yeah. It's like, shut the fuck up, Danny. Go back to fucking... Kokomo, or Illinois, his, or whatever. Or his one, one song that was literally him meowing for 30 seconds in different accents. Yeah, meow, meow, meow. Yeah, it's like, Danny, like, maybe, maybe you weren't cut out for this. Like, maybe you're right to be, like, you know, tossed to the side and, like, forced to go home to Kokomo, Wisconsin. It, it would have been interesting, and we were talking about this during the movie, at the hour mark, when Danny's, like, so defeated and he gets on the bus to go back to Kokomo, and he forgets his hat on the bench... If, like, the la- if the movie just ended there, with, like, his hat on the bench, like, what a somber note. Like, I th- I feel like it would have had so much more impact as a movie if that was the ending, like... Welcome to reality, kids. Your dreams never come true. <laughs> this ends with that shot of the hat on the bench and everything. <laughs> this is not your... not a happy story. So, we didn't talk much about it, but... Let's try and have ourselves a good old-fashioned quote war. Quote war. We'll quote this movie back and forth. You tell us who had the better quotes. Paul, you can go first. I'm an adorable little angel. My fortune cookie last night said, give it up, you loser. They can smash your cookie, but you'll always have your fortune. Into each life, rain must fall. Yeah, as you walk through through your valley of despair, fear not, for I am your little archangel. I'll chew your ears off. That ends this episode's edition of Quote Wars. If you have a favorite quote from this movie or anything else you'd like to say about it, please leave it in the comments below. It's time to give this film our final take. Remember, friends, our final take is a score on our shot scale. Our shot scale is a reverse scale. 1 to 10, 1 being the best, 10 being the worst. How many shots do you need to get through this film? I gave it a 3 out of 10. I gave it a 5 out of 10. So, Cats Don't Dance is a child-friendly version of the trials and tribulations of becoming a Hollywood star. Albeit a romanticized version filled with animals and songs... But it's also filled with wonderful visuals and checks off every box for a successful children's movie. Except that it wasn't made by Disney. Which was basically the number one qualification in the 90s for being a successful animated picture. While most of the characters aren't that memorable, it does have one of the best villainic duos of the 90s, in my opinion, in Darla and Max. And really, to revisit it today, that's probably the best reason to look at the movie. So Catstone Dance is a very standard talking animal cartoon musical from the 90s. The story is the typical underdog shit you've seen a million times. The characters were pretty forgettable, and worst of all, the songs weren't even catchy, which is really bad news when you consider it's a musical. It's by all means not a terrible film, just nothing special. It's ironic that a movie that's about, you know, making it big despite all the odds was completely overlooked and forgotten by most people, including me. Probably, like Corey said, because it, was, it wasn't made by Disney. Not to say Warner Brothers isn't a big co- big company, but, I mean, Disney kind of owns everything at this point. I, I can't name anything else made by Warner Brothers in the 90s. Let's see, when did Space Jam come out? Uh, I guess that was 96, but that had Michael Jordan. It did. <laughs> Sure, there are other things. Uh, Larry Bird. <laughs> sure. Was Dennis Rodman in that one, too? I think so. Or was he just in Money Train? 
Well, who made, um... Who framed Roger Rabbit? Dude, that was the 80s. Oh, whatever. I, that was... I mean, I saw it in the 90s, so... <laughs> the counts, maybe. So... <laughs> I can't think of movies right now. But we you know... We can do this. Power through. <laughs> We've always got ways to drink away this flick. Drink away this flick. Let's come on and grab your drink. Let's drink away this flick. Boom, 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 boom. We'll give you some drinking games for this movie, but remember, friends, drink responsibly. Number one, every time you see an old Hollywood reference, take a drink. Number two, every time a character performs a costume change, take a drink. Number three, whenever someone's smoking a cigar, take a drink. Number four, anytime someone uses an animal insult, take a drink. And number five, of course, because it's Childhood Memories Month, every time something happens that should kill a character but doesn't, take a drink. Every time someone says the word angel... Take a drink. Every time the turtle reads one of his fortunes, take a drink. Every time Max stands behind someone and towers over them, take a drink. And every time Danny mentions his dreams or making it big in Hollywood, take a drink. And those are your ways to drink away this flick. If you have any other thoughts about this movie or anything that's beamer related, you can leave us a comment or the iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also email us beamerbros.gmail.com or like us on Facebook at facebook.com. That's beamerbros. Follow us on Twitter at bmoviebros or my personal Twitter at bmoviepaul. You can check out all, their, all our other content, including reviews, and interviews, and chats from so bmoviebros.com, where we have news shows each week. If you want to help support the show, consider donating to our PayPal or Patreon accounts. Link right below. Well, we've come to the end of week three for Childhood of Memory, so let's rank these movies real quick. For me, in the number three spot, Bardock, the father of Goku. Aww. There just wasn't enough action and no screaming of special moves. Come on, that would have jettisoned it to number there was one. more action than the other two. For number two, Cats Don't Dance. I, it's a movie straight out of my childhood. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's definitely not as good as I remember it, but Darla and Max really make the film fun and, to me, memorable. And number one, Jingle All the Way. Super relatable as an adult, and a lot of jokes I didn't get as a kid. I get now, and makes the movie even more enjoyable than from my childhood. Number three, Catstone Dance. I mean, I don't have the child nostalgia for it. I might have seen it as a kid. I don't even fucking remember. But, yeah, not that great. Very forgettable. Sorry, Danny, but you'll never be, you'll never be remembered, and you'll never be in Hollywood. Number two, Bardock the Father of Goku. A movie I have so many fond memories of. I absolutely love. But at the same point, I also realize you have to be a fan of Dragon Ball Z to really fully appreciate it, so I, I get it. Doesn't quite deserve it. It really fit the mold of this month, but you know, it's part of my childhood, so, you know, fuck off. Number one, Jingle All the Way. It's surprisingly funny even as an adult. Not the best movie, but like, I mean, it's got Sinbad. Like, whatever the hell happened to that guy? So, not the pirate, the comedian. <laughs> next week is Christmas! Yay! Paul has decided to pick a Christmas movie from his childhood and probably everyone's childhood. We couldn't escape it. So, what movie are we watching next week, Paul? We are watching the original Home Alone, starring Macaulay Culkin, and from 1990, I don't even remember. You got it right. 1990, Paul. Alright! So, until next time, Let's friends. Looking up, Paul. Be brave, be alive, and be back for more. <laughs> Get over there. Oh, I'm seeing through it.